Welcome to another edition of the Unicorns Podcast. This is a podcast series featuring business leaders, motivators, innovators, and general go-getters. Izzy Whitelock is the CEO of ASX-listed company Houston We Have. It's an AI tech business, and she joins me as my special guest on the Unicorns today. G'day, Izzy. G'day, Justin. How are you? Excellent. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. Not a problem. I have to say, Houston We Have would have to be one of the best company names I've heard of. How did that name come about? Well, it's the most famous line never uttered in real life, isn't it? Um, it we did go through a process uh, to get to that place. And at the end of the day, it was inspired by that moment you realize all the data in the world um, doesn't always help you get to that place where you need to make a decision and decide what to do next. So the focus of our business has always been about helping organizations make better, more informed decisions. And to do that at speed, without bias, and with whatever information or data is available to you. We're a software business with something that is quite unique and it helps organizations and people get to plausible conclusions for action very quickly. So just uh, just on that name, I suppose it um, like you're either going to to love it or hate it. It certainly stands <laughs> out. Have you had um, have you had many comments on um, on the name of the business? Well, uh, it's certainly polarizing, and you either love it or you hate it. But I have to say, in the main, um, most people love it. And the reason for choosing that name, whether you love it or not, is that it's easy to remember. So even those who don't like it it don't have a problem remembering the name. And we wanted something that was distinctive, something that was memorable. And in a world that is cluttered with uh, names and marketing messages, we wanted something that was going to stand out. And it's valuable to us. And that is the, the the true test, I suppose, of advertising or marketing. You have to make an impression, good or bad. So mm. people at least, you're right, people at least remember the business and hopefully know what it is. So at a at a high level, uh, Izzy, tell us what Houston We Have is all about. So as you mentioned at the start, we are um, an AI business, uh, software driven, and our company essentially has three separate business units at this point in time, um, focused on some very specific sets of technologies that give us an overall platform of capability. At the core of everything that we Mm -hmm. do is Intelfuse, which is this patented piece of software that is based around this incredibly clever piece of calculus and mathematics called subjective logic. And the reason it's special and patented is because it allows us to blend the world of data, the world of known, with human interpretation, observation or opinion, particularly in in, in scenarios where, in fact, you just don't have enough information to be able to make a, a decision. And this underlying mathematics allows us to produce assessments of future risk and assessments of risk that are capable of telling us not only what is likely to happen, but why. So it's transparent, which means people who have to make the decisions are much better informed. They understand what is influencing that decision in a good way or in a negative way. 
Today, um, it is used by the Australian Department of Defence across each of its three services. And that is our original client when we started out the business. And it's also used by innovative corporates in other sectors, such as financial services, legal and resources. The second piece of our business is Prometheus, and that is very much focused on data. And it is focused on data for health insurance uh, companies. And we have half of the or nearly half of the Australian's health funds as clients. And what we provide in terms of the applications and our services allow those health funds to make decisions about how to run their business. So whether that is to do with APRA compliance, for example, or um, understanding the behavior Mm -hmm. of their providers and is there a likelihood of any potential fraud going on, um, the spectrum of services that we deliver to the health funds means they can um, rest easy, that they can run their business, they understand all aspects of it and we manage and we are the custodians of that data for them. And the last piece, which is a recent acquisition, is EchoIQ. And EchoIQ, um, we believe, is going to transform uh, the cardiac um, area of health and provide early diagnosis of heart conditions. And it's going to use data science um, and a whole pile of various algorithms to be able to predict whether or not someone has in the first instance, aortic stenosis, for example. And we're doing that with access to the world's largest database of echocardiogram information. So is that a way, just on EchoIQ, you can go through the world's database, check the facts, check um, the the symptoms of people and potentially pick up um, people who have either been uh, missed or misdiagnosed or are at an increased risk through your AI technology and as a result you can then uh, better treat them. Uh, in effect, that's that's kind of right. Yeah, so what we're actually doing is we're taking the echocardiogram and it's a series of measurements. So when you were, t- if you go for an echo, you will get a scan of your heart and that scan measures various aspects yes. of your heart, the valves, and so on, the thickness of various elements, etc. And all of those measurements together can actually tell a cardiologist um, what you are likely to be suffering from. Now, the number of measurements that one can take of a heart are many, many, many. And so an echocardiogram has many different measurements, but lots of missing information as well. And so what our AI is Mm. doing in that scenario is taking all of those measurements to predict whether or not um, Justin, you have aortic stenosis. And the goal, as you said, is how do we predict that earlier? And how do we predict not only those who have severe aortic stenosis, but also those who have moderate, because the prognosis is likely to be the same. So our goal here is to use the measurement rather than images um, to understand your yes. heart's condition and then pinpoint which particular problem you may have. So we're starting with aortic stenosis and we'll then move through other conditions such as mitral valve stenosis, pulmonary hypertension, etc. And I know it's it's only recently been um, an acquisition, but um, ha- how is Echo IQ going for for the business and and in particular your the, the research into aortic stenosis. Mm. So we've 
um, it's going really well. So the first piece of the the process was to confirm that the algorithm that we had acquired was actually doing what they claimed. So we'd done that as part of the due diligence process. It's but to we do. Were, yeah. yeah. So did it do is it doing mm-hmm. what we what they claimed against a larger data set? So what we did in due diligence was a tick in the box absolutely against the data we had access to. Then the second piece of that was we had access to a much greater data source. And so we then ran the algorithm through that data source. And again we got a tick in the box that it is predicting as um, we had anticipated. And then the third part of that process is what else can we do to fine tune and improve this? This particular piece of the world of AI is very much about feeding the machine. And the more that we can feed the machine, yes. the better yes. and more accurate the outcome. And so we feed it on aortic mm. stenosis elements, and then we will feed it on different conditions later in the piece. But so this first piece is really about refining and improving the accuracy of that algorithm. And um, we're already engaged around uh, elements such as clinical trials to test this in a real world environment and um, moving to uh, engage with um, a marketplace where we can uh, resell uh, this particular piece of technology. So far, very, very good. It's, ama- it's, it's amazing. And I, I suppose, as you mentioned, it, it has, uh, in a health perspective, um, so many different potential applications. Um, the greatest thing about AI, it has so many applications because it's, it's a building block for many different problem sets. And so that is AI in general. And if you look at healthcare and you look at the developments in healthcare, and if you look at what we've gone through in just the last couple of years with COVID, um, technology has been the Mm. thing that has brought us to a place where we can truly understand what's going on. Our improvements in testing, our improvements in diagnosis, our improvements in contact tracing um, with the... um, with the virus moving through our community and vaccines. Yes. So technology yep. Yep. is really important. For me, when I look at echo and we're using echo with echocardiograms, the reality is what we're doing there could sit outside of cardio. It could sit outside and it could sit in um, other areas. So whether that's lungs or um, some other organ in the body or whether there's some other physical manifestation to do with cancer. And and AI is already being used in breast cancer detection, for example. Mm, Um, So there are so many applications of software, AI specifically, to health. I think it's just only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And more importantly for Houston, we have, it's about you know, doing something that is good. It's about creating change for good. Yes. And yes. that's a really important aspect of everything that we do. If we can just go back to Intel Fuse, because that's where sure. um, that was the basis where Houston we have um, started. I'm keen to mm-hmm. get into the details on, on how that works. Can mm-hmm. you give us potentially without, you know, breaking, um, you know, commercial partnerships, um, how it works in reality and uh, some of the some of the practical ways it's being it's being used across industry sure so in reality there are probably a couple of scenarios the first scenario would be if we take it as a defense world um, where it's deployed in um, a top secret environment for use by the services 
In that world, they use Intel Fuse in what I'll call its raw state. They use it as it is in order to run um, intelligence assessments for various different scenarios, things that they are continually monitoring or one-off scenarios that they need very quick insight to. So in its raw state, it is an application that allows us to very quickly define a problem and its components, identify how they all depend on one another and how they influence and information, where does that information exist and pull that in to get an assessment of likely risk or threat, etc. And it's done really, really quickly. So you've got that world. And then on the other side of that, when you move into the commercial um, sphere, what what people are looking for there, they're looking for really more of a, a solution. They don't necessarily want to build the model themselves. And so we are working with clients where we build, in effect, an end-to-end solution for them. So for one of our clients in the resource sector, we Mm -hmm. identified the problem and what they wanted to do was to take what is a highly human and manual process and have a system whereby they could literally type in a couple of key points to do with project risk, um, type that into a screen so we develop the, the user interface and then in the background, we have this web crawler that goes out and it searches the internet for information about this particular project. And then it runs it through an Intel Fuse model that they never see. And that Intel Fuse model then provides an assessment of risk around this particular project. And it shows them where the risks might be if they were to get into um, investing in this project. So they understand very, very quickly without humans really having to be involved in the process other than to say Mm. it is um, a project called X um, in a location called Y and we take care of the rest of it. And then we produce an output and we tell them, "Here's, here's the risk, here are all the reasons why this is risky and we provide them then with links to every single piece of information that we've used in order to do that assessment. So it's end to end in that case. It allows them to mm. do what they've always done, but in an automated way. And so what you are doing with your technology is assisting um, decision-making, assisting boardrooms and CEOs and the and the C-suite, I suppose, by removing uh, biases in uh, the decision-making process and trying to add certainty um, potentially in an uncertain world. Um, you've just used all of our terms, Justin. Um, so yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the point is, um, the one thing that we're guaranteed in life is change, right? The world is changing around us every single moment. So whether we like it or not, um, we have to deal with whatever information we have available to us. And sometimes we just don't have it. So that uncertainty comes into play. Mm. Our software allows us to deal with that. It allows us to deal with what we know facts and figures it allows me to put in my opinion or observation or my gut instinct on something and for the decision makers as you identified it is actually understanding that right here right now at this point in time this is our risk or this is the threat or this is what's likely to happen if we do this this is how they're going to come back at us and understand every element that's actually pushing that up and the key, one of the words that you used there was bias. 
like it or lump it, the world is biased. Humans are biased. And mm. when we yes, build yes. our models, um, we will actually see the bias coming through in the models. No, bias isn't always bad. You know, we have this view of it, and it's not always bad. Sometimes it's actually understanding that a particular country behaves in a particular way. That's their bias. So to ignore that would be to ignore how things may pan out. So we we take the model and we we describe that country's behavior because that's how they react to certain circumstances, right? So you need to sometimes have that there in order to assess how they might respond in a given circumstance. Um, but if it surfaces, you can question and you say, should this be here? No. Okay, let's take it out and get it back to a neutral base. So you've been, Izzy, in, uh, in the tech game for a, for a long time. You've been um, an entrepreneur um, at, at, a very, at a very high level. What drives your interest uh, in technology? Well, I found this quote from Thomas Edison, and it says, there's a way to do it better. Find it. And in everything that I've done, so whether that's in a startup and I've done a number of startups, or whether that's being um, asked to sort of join a company to start doing some turnaround, for whatever reason, um, I kind of have this view that um, this is how we do it doesn't always mean that that's the best way to do it or that close enough is good enough. Maybe there's a perfectionist in me there somewhere. I don't know. But I think it's really important for us to look at where we're at and figure out how we might improve the lot of the people that we're working with, improve the lot of our clients. How do we uh, change what we're doing to become more effective or more efficient? And I think ultimately for me, there are many ways to, to really achieve that. But for me, technology is, is something that is not going to go away. And just the advances in that mm. and the differences that that's making in our day-to-day -day life, um, if it's applied in a way that is thoughtful, in a way that's purposeful, that can actually change lives, um, echo IQ, save lives, um, that ability to make a difference um, that is the thing that is really important to me. And so I find myself drawn to technology options that can, can actually apply that and do something that's, that has purpose and meaning. So that's what's really important to me. And how are you finding running a, a public company and trying to keep the, the plates spinning all of the time? Yes, you don't see that trick any longer, do you, on, on variety shows? Um, <laughs> yeah. so, um, I'm sure someone's oh, doing it I'm sure they are. Um, it, some days it certainly feels like that. Um, my day-to-day -day is exceptionally busy, and having people in New Zealand and people in the UK, I tend to find that I have very long days. Um, sleep is somewhat overrated, apparently. Mm. Um, so there are many moving parts in any organization, but particularly so in an ASX-listed company that are the day-to-day -day operational aspects all the way through to the governance. Um, for me, I don't think I could do all of that without the team of talented people that sit around me. I have a very strong management team. And I depend on them for many things, for, for answers to problems, for support in dealing with media, for example. Um, 
I know that they have my back. And I also am very grateful for the team of passionate and committed technical developers, support people, the sales guys, the data scientists. They solve our client problems and they solve it with passion and they solve it with a desire to go above and beyond at all times and to delight our clients. And with that level of support, mm. I know that there's always someone running behind me who's touching, I don't even know, is that a rod that those plates were on, who are sort of keeping those rods moving, uh, picking up the plates <laughs> and any of the broken so. pieces, so. uh, sweeping yeah. up behind me and yeah. uh, making sure that I'm still on track. So what about um, the term AI, artificial intelligence? Um, we hear it a lot, but I, I think if you were to take a, a, poll, a straw poll of punters out there, they probably don't know anything really about it. How do you define artificial intelligence? Um, you're right. I think that there is uh, a notion of what artificial intelligence is. I I was asked to speak at a Harvard alumni, I think it was last year, I've lost track of the days, and it was about AI. And the people in that room were really fearful of AI, as if somehow it was going to come in like the robots, like was it Hal, um, would come over and take over the world and yep, um, yep, change yep. everything. Robots taking our jobs, that's, that's the big one. Absolutely, yeah. that's exactly right. Um, in reality, it's an, an evolution. It's an evolution of the power of technology and the ability to consume vast quantities of data, vast quantities of a variety of data at speed. In essence, that's what AI is all about. And so the machine can only be as smart as the data that we provide it. And ultimately, where we're trying to get with that is that the decision-making that comes out of that machine, that it resembles somehow the human mind. Now, bearing in mind that, in mm. fact, a computer is only as good as the data that we give it, then that, of course, means there will always be some degree of limitation because we may not necessarily have all of the data that we want in order to create that um, decision that we're, we're, we're seeking. Because humans are actually, even toddlers, are very good at identifying things and finding um, similarities or patterns in things that a machine, if we don't tell it, doesn't. So I can teach a machine to identify a cat, and I have to, sh I have to give it millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of images of a cat. And if it gets to a dog, it doesn't necessarily know that that's a dog, whereas a two-year-old would know that that was a dog. So the machines can be exceptionally mm. smart, but let's keep it in context. It is its ability, because of computing power today, to be able to deal with vast, vast quantities of data. And yes, is there a human intelligence behind it? It's only there because we've given that that flavor or that interpretation. But AI is here. It lives amongst us. It lives amongst us in applications that we use to navigate from one city to another, like Waze. It's sitting in Siri and Alexa when we ask, mm. ask them to do things. Uh, when we yes. call for yeah. A, yeah. A, a taxi or a rideshare, it's all sitting in that. It's all there already. We just, we just use it every day. We don't even realize that it's AI that's driving it. We don't even know. We no, don't know. No, yeah. not at all. So, 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 on, so on that, um, Izzy, so what are some of the, the positive ways that artificial intelligence 
can be used, is being used, mm-hmm. uh, especially for the, the greater good? You've already mentioned a few examples there. Well, absolutely. Well, we've touched on a few when we, we mentioned Echo, and I think that that's one of the areas for me and certainly for the company that we're very excited about is yep. the application of this in healthcare. So enhanced diagnostics mm. for early detection in cardiology. I've mentioned breast cancer. It's also in use in places like IVF and working, uh, having met with some of um, um, other healthcare, typically hardware providers. We're seeing a lot of hardware providers getting into AI to start to understand radiology. So x-rays, for example, and actually are detecting issues in an x-ray machine. Um, in certain countries in the world, for example, there aren't enough sonographers or radiographers to uh, use the machines okay. and actually provide diagnosis. So the hardware manufacturers are starting to teach uh, machines, you know, what a broken leg looks like. I'm, I'm making this very simple. I apologize. But, you know, this is a leg. Yes, this no, is a broken okay. leg. Here are different types of broken legs, for example, because one broken leg isn't necessarily like the, the, the next. So actually teaching machines so that they, in places where those experienced individuals just don't exist or are very few, it's allowing them to get earlier and better diagnosis as a consequence. Something that's um, quite near and dear to my heart um, is the tracking of indicators and warning signs around people who are vulnerable. And we did some work a couple of years ago um, with a charity who were concerned about children at risk. And um, that's actually a very manual observational process. So how do we identify early kids who are potentially at risk within their family situation? And what is the kind of intervention that we might have to make in order to keep them safe? So there's that. The other one that's very close to my heart is um, mental health and the the challenges mm. that individuals in our community have and, you know, exacerbated by things like um, being sent on missions overseas as part of um, an army deployment, for example, or a defence deployment um, to um, those who are suffering as a consequence of being in lockdown over the last couple of years. How do we track that? Devastating, and, yes. And yes. How, do we, how do we track that? Because there is access to so many different elements out there that can tell us how someone might be feeling. How do we use that for good and actually get on the front foot so that we are intervening and saving lives? Um, an early project that we're currently um, being uh, considered for is um, a poverty index. And this is out of the UK. And believe it or not, banks are interested in ensuring that their clients are not being thrown out of their homes and onto the streets um, when they're Mm. unable to, say, pay their mortgage, as an example. And how do we tell what those indicators are? So there are obviously some financial indicators, but there's a whole pile of other things. How do we blend all of this together so that ultimately we don't make the situation worse? And so that means we're on the front foot again and we're getting in and being proactive before you know someone takes an action and you know walks in one day and puts an order on, on a house and all of a sudden a family's on the street so that kind of application is obviously good for the lives of individuals 
And then at another level, um, we're seeing a lot of smart technology and particularly around renewable energy sources. And there was one in particular where they took past historical turbine data. They looked at the consumption rates of energy and then they blended that with weather tracking so that they could actually better predict the wind power um, in advance so that they could then start to drip feed ahead of time a scheduled delivery of power into the grid. And that means Mm. that you're then able yeah. yeah yeah you're then able to say ahead of time here's here's what we're going to need this wind power is going to deliver x and then the grid can actually use that and schedule that for delivery across mm. um the city for example that it's supplying so very smart use of um ai and then of course you then take that ai and you turn it into smart storage for the energy and then at the home level the monitoring of the energy that you're consuming so it's all there Okay, so let's um, let's look ahead now, Izzy, for uh, your business, Houston, mm-hmm. the listed entity, Houston We Have, HWH. Mm-hmm. What can we, and when I say we, I'm talking about uh, investors at large out there mm-hmm. that are listening, what can they expect um, from the business, say, in the next 12 to 24 months? So you're going to see um, a much greater range of solutions coming from us um, using the range of capabilities that we have from data through data science to Intel Fuse. So whether that's at the Prometheus level or at the Echo level or even just Intel Fuse on its own. So the projects that we're currently involved in in places like the UK and now in New Zealand you're going to see solutions and I mean solutions not just probably just one sort of model deployment, you're going to see solutions that um, provide real world problem solving scenarios. Um, and those are going to be in government, and they're certainly going to be in healthcare. It's going to be around elements like financial services and understanding risks there. And I, th- I think you're also going to start to see some more uh, decarbonization kind of understanding that carbon footprint element is starting to creep up into the applications that we're being asked to uh, quote against and get involved in. So certainly deployed in more scenarios with um, not only our existing clients, but also into some new clients. As I mentioned, the UK is very strong and very, very much has an appetite for innovation and new approaches. With ECHO specifically, we're going to see a series of steps forward in terms of moving through um, from where we are today in assessing and improving that algorithm to deployment um, into uh, the cardio space and that being used to then treat and diagnose early um, aortic stenosis. So clinical trials, um, regulatory approvals, and eventually moving into that um, commercial uptake. So we're very busy and um, we're very, very busy. And certainly I believe based on the projects that we have sitting in our pipeline, it's going to continue to be so. Fantastic, Izzy. Always great to catch up with you. Izzy Whitelock, the CEO of Houston We Have. We wish you all the very best for the years ahead and thanks for coming on to the Unicorns today. Oh, my pleasure, Justin. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you.